0: So much butter. So much butter.
1: So much butter. (laughs) If the whipping cream itself wasn't enough, then you put butter in it.
0: This band could be your food.
1: Welcome there, you guys. How you guys doing? Welcome to another episode of This Band Could Be Your Food. I'm your host, Nathan Palin. Coming to you from Brooklyn, New York. We are a podcast among other podcasts, but I don't think that anybody has a podcast like this podcast. So, podcast it is. This week, we're interviewing the younger brother of my good friend, Andy Hinkle, the guy who did the pavement podcast with me a few episodes ago. His younger brother, Dan Hinkle, got on the horn with me from Chicago, Illinois, and decided to talk about. A band that him and I both feel fondly for, that being the Guns N' Roses. Axel and company are back to their old shenanigans. The new company, almost as good as the original company. We uh, both had an opportunity to see him. Me in New Jersey, he in Chicago, and uh, two Wisconsin natives agree. This band's worth checking out. You ever heard of Guns N' Roses? They're pretty good. They have one record that's excellent, and then they've got some other records, too. And Dan and I are going to share our opinions about those other records as well as that first one. Now, out of the gate, listen. Here's the thing. When I started this podcast, it was uh, like right after the pandemic and I was like, oh, this is what the world needs is another podcast. Turns out I wasn't the only person thinking that. If you like this podcast, and I think that you do because you're listening, right? The thing that makes this podcast thrive is our reviews. So I'm going to put A little link in the description of this podcast, be it on whichever platform you're on, there's going to be a description. You can go there, click on that link, and please review us. Review us on Apple Podcasts. If you know another way to review us on another platform, review us there. It's going to help people like you, like-minded, good, solid people like you to find our podcast. And help them in their lives Help them know more stuff About food and about music And not have to think about politics for a second And not have to think about All the struggles of our world Because there are a lot of fights That need to be done right now And everybody's sticking to their guns Fighting the good fight Doing what they think is right But at a certain point We all need to relax It's good for you to relax If you don't You're going to be all bound up So take a pause, take a breather Listen to this band could be your food Cook a delicious dish Get yourself the energy to go back out there and fight again I guess that's all I have to say about it for now Oh, and tell your friends about the show These are the things that need to happen Okay, that's enough, blah 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 On with the cyber chat with Dan Hinkle and Guns N' Roses Here we go Welcome How have you been? You know, I've been pretty good.
0: Uh, I've been unemployed for a couple of months, and uh, it's uh, it's been actually really nice uh, to have the summer off to myself uh, for the first time in a long time as an adult. So, you know, it's
1: really not bad. I bet. You were working for the Chicago Sun-Times? The Tribune. Working Um, for the Tribune. Yeah, missed it by an inch. Um,
0: (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, I was with them for 11 years. I did mostly, like, investigative reporting about law enforcement and things like that and ah. then uh our company got bought by a hedge fund um and Stupid <laughs> i took a hedge fund t- well you're gonna have to be the one to say that because i had to sign a non-disparagement clause so uh, i just have to leave it to everybody to uh reach their own conclusions about how uh how, how i may or may not feel about that fair enough
1: i mean once <laughs> yeah. you get that so yet. i i took a buyout
0: in like late uh late june and i've just been kind of relaxing figuring out what i'm
1: gonna do next so yeah, yeah. Mm. it's been good well it's good to see you again your beautiful face <laughs> it's Nice to see you thank yeah. you yeah How, how's chicago these days Uh you know it's
0: chicago it's doing its thing it's uh you know never a dull moment yeah. uh you know it's sort of appropriate for you know talking about a band whose first album was, uh, you know, entirely about, you know, sort of the uh, modern urban milieu. Um, yeah, sure. You know, the, for, the big for, news around here is the big news around here is that the Bears might move. So there's what? That. Yeah, did you see that? Where would they the, go? I did not hear this. Arlington Heights, which is a northwest suburb, like kind of you know a little bit past O'Hare. Um, oh, so they'll keep being the Chicago Bears presumably i don't know i guess if they i don't know if they would change their name to the suburb but yeah i don't know i mean it's all the new york giant
1: the new york giants play in new jersey it's gonna they're still gonna be called chicago bears yeah true have you become a bears fan in in this time
0: absolutely not nate okay good in fact insulted that you even (laughs) asked uh i uh, no i mean you don't you know you don't just leave Janesville and Madison, and stop being a Packers fan. It's not. Yeah,
1: right out of the gate, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm trying to remember if this is true. I seem to, I seem to feel like I've read a GNR book, be it Duff's or Slashes, where he mentions that for the the preparation of Use Your Illusion, that they had like secured the Metro to do some like rehearsing there. Is that is that correct? So I remember the same thing, and I think it might be in both books,
0: and it might have been this. I believe is referenced in in like every Guns and Roses book because it was such a disaster. So it's a th- um, it is a thing. Yeah, they okay. as it. And again, disclaimer that I've read these books over the span of the last fifteen years, so I don't know if I have all the details exactly. Yeah, I'm in right, the same my, boat. My memory is that they were, you know, Guns and Roses is sort of famously difficult to keep on task because of the substance abuse issues and Axel being Axel. And they, the record company or some, their management in a bid to get them to actually record what would become use your illusions one and two, got them a practice space of sorts that I think is above or somehow adjacent to the Metro which is okay. this really r- sort of historic club in just north of Wrigley Field in Chicago. Yes. And your brother I, and I
1: attended a number of pavement concerts at the at the Metro. Among among other tons of bands I've seen at the Metro. Yeah. But, it, but it's anyways. a good place. It's, it's yeah. a good room. Great vibe. Um
0: Metallica played there the other day. They did like a a giveaway where really? they played like, it was like one of the smallest shows they've done in a really long time. And it was I'm at, yeah, yeah. sold out very quickly. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but they got them that space. And I it, I think the sum of their accomplishments was that Duff and Slash got drunk a bunch of times at, like, at the bars around the north side of Chicago. And that like various other members didn't show up and they didn't really accomplish anything. I can't except, even remember
1: if S- Steven Adler was still in the group at that point or not. I don't remember. I'm
0: not sure. Yeah! Okay. yeah!
1: Hey there. Uh, let me butt in quickly. Yes, Steven Adler was at this practice session, which was in Chicago, above the Metro, uh, and above another bar. I believe it was Guns N' Roses' management that picked this place for whatever reason, maybe because it's in the Midwest, in between Indiana and L.A. But yeah, this is where all the members of Guns N' Roses got back together to start writing material for what would be known as the Use Your Illusion albums. Apparently, Izzy had like eight songs, Slash had an album's worth, Axel had an album's worth. So they all had too many songs, obviously. But over in Chicago, they were renting out some rooms above the metro and working on this material. It was said that Axel wouldn't show up until 1 a.m. to start these rehearsals, which, uh, you know, isn't that good for a bunch of junkies. Well, a bunch of junkies and Izzy Stradlin, who was newly sober at that time. So that's what's going on at that point in history. And let's carry on. Don't you have an original copy of the LP of Appetite for Destruction with the original artwork on it?
0: Yeah, I, it's like one of a number of uh, pieces of Guns N' Roses media that I, I, I was thinking I've I've like I must have burned Appetite onto burn CDs like thirty-five times. Oh yeah, and like <laughs> it, it tapes, CDs, records, the whole nine. DVDs. Sure. I had um, I but, had
1: the official tape myself. And that was my soundtrack to delivering newspapers for years. <laughs> Around Cy- the
0: west side of Janesville. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh,
1: side G and side R.
0: The original pressing was, yeah, it was given to me by a friend's then girlfriend who knew that I had to have it. And it was like, yeah, the original with like the sort of disgusting artwork that if that would absolutely not fly in this moment, if the, and it didn't even then. No. Yeah, even then. Um, <laughs> I've always thought honestly that like you know th- they switched after they had to sub that out to get it sold in American stores. Like I always thought honestly, like the logo they put on it was way better. Like, oh, it was way better. The, cr- the cross with the five faces, like that's a great logo.
1: I, yeah. Now, yeah. didn't Slash make that logo himself? I don't know if that that's true. I know think he did. So. He did create the GNR logo. I'm ninety percent sure. Um, did he like yeah. the guns with the yeah, I think he put that together. Okay. But I I do think that the, the, the cross with all the different members of the group, that was done by a tattoo artist. Well, wow. and his
0: brother, Slash's brother is an artist as well. Yeah, um, that's right. He has like a t-shirt company, I
1: think. Yeah, which they picked up from their father. Their father was was a uh, an artist, and he actually designed cover art for bands such as uh, Neil Young and Joni Mitchell. I
0: had forgotten that one. Before. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, when they were when they were kids, uh like all these rock stars were like hanging out in, in the the house of the, the Hudson house. Yeah. Saul Hudson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's And your mom.
0: Ola, yeah.
1: Hey, can you remember the names of the the actual names of all the members of Guns N' Roses?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Axel has has gone by a bunch of things, but I think is generally known as William Bailey. Correct. uh Bill Bailey. Yeah. Um Slash is Saul Hudson, of course. Yeah. Uh, Duff McKagan is Michael McKagan. Uh, mm. Stephen
1: Adler, I just gotta assume his- that's Stephen Adler. I think is his name. Yeah, that's that's his, that's his name. <laughs> He's uh, the one guy. And
0: Izzy Stradlin is uh, Jeffrey Isbell, that's
1: which funny. is
0: which is interesting for this present moment because there's a current contemporary very famous musician with the last name Isbell, Jason Isbell. Yes, and I had always wondered if they were related and I've not found any evidence that they
1: are. Well, according to the internet, Thomas Isabel was the fourth great grandfather of Jeffrey Dean Isabel known as Izzy Stradlin of Guns N' Roses band. And he was also a second cousin of Levi Isabel born in 1770, the fifth great grandfather of singer songwriter Jason Isabel. And let it be known that halfway through telling you that, I realized I was pronouncing Isbel incorrectly. Isbel, not Isabel. Come on. So yeah, they're related very distantly. Game on. So those five members, and of course, you know, poor them. They just can't seem to get over the fact that everybody accepts that these are the five members of Guns N' Roses. Even though the newest version of Guns N' Roses is pretty ripping. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree saw them live fantastic work
0: yeah i i've seen this version of the band twice i saw him once i saw him once at soldier field and like that was really good albeit sludgy because we were up at the top of soldier field so like the Mm. sound it's hard to make the sound work right chicago stadiums
1: have bad sound
0: yeah and then however i saw him a second time at the United center where the bulls play. Mm -hmm. And I had like (laughs) a moment for a brief digression. I got the tickets because a friend had bought them while at a party and did not remember buying them. And so (laughs) I, this guy from Janesville, I won't name him for his, you know, he has privacy rights. Uh, I he he I had been communicating with bef- bef- before the show and I was feeling sort of bummed and I was like ah no I'm not going it's a Monday night I don't want to pay eighty dollars and sit by myself or whatever and he was like yeah I didn't get tickets either and then three hours later he texts me and he's like remember when I said I didn't get tickets well I did uh, and they're they're awesome and, and yeah. they're with our like and they're with our several other friends from Janesville who love Guns and Roses and so we yeah. sat like in the first mezzanine right up above the the band like to the I think stage left and it was awesome. It was like right where Slash stood when he comes out to do his solos and it was like felt like my eyebrows are gonna get burned off by the pyro. And it was an incredible show. It was better than the Soldier Field one just because the sound inside was so much more clear.
1: Yeah. 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 And the members of the group play really well. Uh I have to say, I personally like that drummer. What is it, Chester? Is that who's playing drums with them? I think it's, at least
0: right now, it's Frank Ferrer.
1: Frank I Ferrer. Think. I don't even know where I came I up think. with Chester. Did Chester yeah. play guitar or something? <laughs> I feel there's, like some fella named Chester was once involved with the group. But uh,
0: Every men's name has had a member. yeah, has been yes. in this group, definitely. I always thought that would... The, like what steven brought to it and i don't think steven is regarded as a virtuoso in you know in anybody no not at all like that was that he's like he's really pushing the pace and bringing just a very straight ahead like you know sound like i don't he's a capable drummer and yeah. was like not doing anything fancy and it was very just driving force type drumming and then when matt on the i don't know if it's the production matt sorum or a combination of the two but yeah. like the drums on the use your illusions albums have always killed me because they sound like pit orchestra for cats or something <laughs> like they're just like very and i know it's competent drumming it's technically very good yeah, the man knows how it to play just, yeah, yeah just has andrew lloyd weber vibes that i have a harder time getting into you know yeah
1: it's super weird. It's hard to put your finger on the whole thing, but I mean, you can even right. hear it in that album, like Civil War, which is the one track that Steven Nadler actually plays on, which they mm-hmm. say they had to comp- compile sixty different takes of him doing it to get like one competent cut. yeah, right, regardless, right. you know, that one is like the one standout track to me in you yeah. in that whole double album, whatever thing <laughs> yeah. that they decided to do it's one of my favorites definitely yeah for sure all right so i'm sorry i keep i keep just getting getting off track because i'm so excited to talk about you know the big history of guns and roses and all the little fun little tidbits about them but let's get back on track before we go Mm -hmm. that direction Mm -hmm. we got to get to the food now this food um it's so easy as they say um (laughs) You and I were sort of talking about the fact that uh, really the anchor in this group of of many anchors, but the one, you know, he's not the guy, the first guy, you think he's not the second guy, but he's the third guy, Duff McKagan. He's from Mm -hmm. Seattle and he has a big hand in Starbucks, makes a lot of Starbucks money. Guns N' Roses is really a dark group. Coffee, coffee makes sense. Mm hmm. And you know what yeah, else makes sense? I'd... Alcohol. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. You know, for better or for worse. Yeah. So we're gonna put some alcohol in that coffee. We're gonna make we're gonna make an Irish coffee, everybody. Um now, there's are there any Irish members of the group? We got Duff McKagan. There's a Mick. Uh, Maybe Bailey. Bailey? Uh, Bailey. Yeah, I don't
0: know. Uh, Very good. He's got red hair. Yeah, I don't know. There's some stereotypical Irish stuff going on in the Yeah, there there
1: is. is. Folks, I'm so glad I looked this up. Duff McKagan, his ethnicity is Irish. English, German, Scottish, Dutch, Scotch-Irish. Northern Irish. Lots of Irish. He's not only Irish, he's also Scot-Irish and Northern Irish. That's a lot of Irish, man. Oh, and Axel, guess what? Paternally, Irish. Maternally, German. German, Irish. This is all coming together nicely folks. Game on. I mean cuz they they come from LA just like Motley Crue does, but I feel that the there's a big divide between your Motley Crue and your Guns N' Roses. Motley Crue sort of like represented the early days of of hair metal. You know, even though what like Bon Jovi in the direction that it went off with it was its own fluffiness. It wasn't quite the yeah. same. Both of these bands were somewhat rooted in punk rock. Um mm-hmm. I didn't feel like their foods should really cross over in any sort of way. Now, so we got an Irish coffee, and I I don't know if that's enough because there are also two members of the band that are from Indiana. As much as they like to downplay the Indiana thing, you can't really get away from it. It's where they're from. So initially, I thought a corn muffin for some reason because I thought Indiana, I thought corn, but corn's a little too generic of the Midwest there's a lot of corn grown in America. Iowa, I think, is really more the corn capital. So I looked into it at Indiana's Foods, which is uh, it's about as exciting as you would think it would be. <laughs> their, mm. uh, their, their big food is uh, apparently pork tenderloin, like a pork tenderloin sandwich. Which sounds incredible. It doesn't
0: scream out guns and roses to me, but it sounds great.
1: No, it does. It sounds delicious. I don't know if that would dunk well in a coffee. No. That's that's sort of the thing. But then I discovered that the unofficial pie, the unofficial official pie of Indiana is called a sweet cream pie. Mm -hmm. Now that's going to pair with coffee. So we learned how to make a sweet cream pie paired with a traditional Irish coffee. Guns and Roses mm. are Irish coffee with sweet cream pie. Here we go. The other thing about this Irish coffee is I'm going to make the traditional Irish coffee. Which doesn't have any Baileys in it. You putting Baileys in yours? No, I I obtained
0: a Bushmills uh, at my local liquor store, and okay. uh, I'm gonna go with that. With the sort of your traditional recipe, no Baileys. Okay. Although, no disrespect to Baileys,
1: it's a perfectly fine drink. Baileys is a great addition to coffee, and I love it on a Sunday morning. But, you know, when you get a traditional Irish coffee, because there's something about that look that almost looks like Guns N' Roses, you know, like that black coffee with that frothy top. Yeah. Doesn't it it looks yeah. a little a little bit like uh like Slash's hat maybe.
0: And you know, I wanted to say something about the um you know, about the nature of like pie and coffee and you know I think there's a potential criticism where people could hear this and say, "Oh, come on, Guns N' Roses and pie and coffee. It's like, you know, drinking everclear and <laughs> barfing it into the gutter or whatever, you know, like that's <laughs> sure. Guns N' Roses sure. But we a we we shouldn't do that. Um no. and Not at this age no no absolutely not i was thinking that like i was thinking about guns N' roses history and a crucial element of their early history is with this deli in uh, los angeles called Cantor's deli which is run by i think a friend of slash mark Cantor. um oh. and it's like i've been there i went there on a i had a professional thing and i went there and i did a little tour of Guns and Roses locations in Hollywood. I did a self-guided tour. I went to like the Rainbow and the Roxy and, you know, all those places. Nice. In the morning, so they weren't open. But um, although I did get to go on the rainbow and see like the Lemmy stuff and all that. Um, but Cantor's is like sort of your traditional Jewish deli that serves like a I'm sure they have pie and coffee. That's not what I got. I got okay. the um I got the giant like corned beef sandwich, which was delicious. I was gonna say. And then I asked. The manager if i could see like the special guns and roses part of the deli and they showed me like the table that they all sat at she was like oh yeah slash was in here two weeks ago and um you know they took me into their little back room that has all this guns and roses memorabilia and stuff and it was a really yeah. fun
1: experience i That's was i was awesome.
0: exploding inside absolutely like i was very pumped and trying
1: not to show it but yeah, yeah. and they they drank a lot of coffee a they drank a lot of alcohol be. and they also they also went to a lot of diners like I heard that, yeah. that slash loved Denny's like biscuits and gravy at Denny's was like his go-to thing so it all feels right to me yeah it makes sense yeah it makes sense and also like I feel if you really consume a lot of guns and roses you're gonna feel a little bit ill you know yeah, like right they are yeah. they are satisfying but there's something just kind of like acidic about it If you really were to listen to a lot of Guns N' Roses, you might get an ulcer.
0: They're dark and unsettling. And I think that's like, I think that's a, you know, as you were mentioning the sort of, you really can't talk about Guns N' Roses without talking about the Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue dichotomy. And like, I listened to Girls, Girls, Girls this morning, just as preparation. Yeah. The the album they put out in 1987, the same year Appetite for Destruction came out. And it's like, it's, you know, it's not a, bad album in a lot of ways but it's a party album it's a it's yeah. a party band right like yes. they're talking about hedonism and having fun and all this and then it must have been a weird experience to be a heavy metal fan at that point I'm not really old enough to have like to have experienced it contemporaneously okay but to have bought then the Guns N' Roses album and it's like sure it's the same genre of music but it's this much darker more depressing and ugly take on that same hedonism, right? On that sa- it's like about drinking and doing drugs
1: and mistreating people. Yeah. But it presents it in a dark negative light. For sure. I feel like I had the television set on during that historic moment that they said where they played Welcome to the Jungle for the first time. Because that oh, album, really? wow. that al- I mean that album was a sleeper hit. It was out for I think at least a year. Yeah. Before they finally played that song on MTV, and I remember like it was late at night. I think they said it was four in the morning. There's no way that I was watching it at four in the morning unless <laughs> I, unless I got up that early, which I think I was actually doing at that time. But I remember seeing it, and it it, it stood out. It was like late at night, and it came on, and it was just like, "What is this?" Because yeah. it almost just looks like the worst part of the news, and they all <laughs> they all look freaking crazy, man. Like yeah. Axel. Who has ever sounded like Axel Rose? Nobody. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you got Slash. I mean, they are just cartoon characters. They were meant for mm-hmm. MTV. Mm-hmm. And then maybe it was like a few days later, all of a sudden that song was back on again and then it was on all the time and it was like, That was that band I saw the other night. And then pretty soon, like
0: if we can launch into the history, yeah, that's what like that was how it came to me too. It was through M T V. Yeah. Which you know Janesville, I think we were actually in front of a lot of other uh, towns in that we got MTV. I think relatively early, and so we had MTV when I was seven or eight or nine, and sure. and it was channel it was channel nineteen on Jones Inner Cable. Yes, remember. it was <laughs> because I watched a ton of it just all day long as long as I didn't have anything else to do it was just watching videos yep. and it was through I I came to them in exactly the same way you did that mm-hmm. like through those three huge videos that MTV aired all the time welcome to the jungle paradise city and sweet child of mine mm-hmm. and like And none of them were like particularly avant-garde videos. There wasn't any Peter Gabriel sledgehammer stuff going on. It was like concert films and sort of bad acting and like you know nothing too
1: special. Yeah, but they they saved that for the illusion days. Yeah, when they
0: really had money and they were getting really buck wild. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like, but I remember very distinctly. I think at that point I was too young to really understand what was so cool about the music or what I really appreciated about it compared to other things. Oh, yeah. But like it was the aesthetic that was completely mind boggling. It was just like, you know, Axel, this super skinny. Very high singing guy who looks like a like a beautiful redheaded woman, but he's got all these tattoos and he's like a biker. <laughs> Not anymore. Then, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then Slash, who's like you didn't see his face for like the first three years that they were famous, and like yeah. you know, you know Duff, this like tall, cool punk bass playing guy, and Izzy, this sort of mysterious weirdo with the sunglasses, and Stephen, no offense, the drummer. Uh, <laughs> as a and drummer myself, Steven. you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's also steven who's a perfectly capable drummer and yeah. looks kind of like duff
1: yes um i always thought if i had but, a dog i was yeah. going to name him steven <laughs> but that'd I be a, a good goldfish. dog name you had a goldfish i name had
0: steven? a goldfish named slash uh oh, yeah and sad. i won it like the rock county 4-h fair and the, yeah <laughs>
1: yeah uh funny hey quick trivia question uh who was popcorn i don't know that was Steve Adler's nickname. Oh, His nickname was okay. popcorn. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know, okay. why. I don't know <laughs> oh. why. Isn't that weird? What original member of Guns N' Roses is the oldest? Let me think about this.
0: I probably can guess. Uh, I'm torn. <laughs>
1: I think it's Duff. It's Axel. Wow, Axel was really? born February 6, 1962. Izzy's the second oldest. Born April 6, 1962. Duff was born in 64 slash in 65.
0: Huh. All right. Well now I know. I'm really I'm
1: learning a lot so far. Yeah, right. Who is the only member of Guns N' Roses to graduate high school? Originally. Okay. It's not first time around. No. It's not Duff.
0: Probably not, Izzy. It's definitely not Steven.
1: Process of elimination. issues. It's Slash. Nope. Nope, it's Izzy. It? it is Izzy. Oh, good yeah. for him. Right. He he graduated West Lafayette, Indiana. After he graduated, he moved to L.A. Hmm. and and Axel followed him.
0: And Axel rode, as depicted in the uh, "Welcome to the Jungle" video. He rode on a bus, got off, and was had a piece of uh, like a stalk of hay in his mouth to signify that he was, you know. From yeah. the country, I've always wondered: like, did he get off the bus in like, I don't know, Nebraska or Oklahoma or something, and like, take a piece to put in his mouth and then hold it in his mouth all the way to L.A. and then got off? It's not clear where he got that. No, if he, yeah. If he chewed on that all the way from Indiana, probably, it what must be like a twenty-five-hour bus ride.
1: God, it must have been nasty by the time. I hope he like brought like a case of them so he could just like <laughs> toss one out the window and then like, grab another. Talk to the driver. You want a piece of hay? Like "Mm, I'm good.
0: (laughs) He's got one bag, one duffel bag. Have you tried cigarettes? They're much better. (laughs) What a great video! You know,
1: now did he take a bus or did he hitchhike out there? Because, you know, I learned recently because I've been thinking about the the one in a million song Mm -hmm. because uh, the last week's episode we touched on living color. So, I kind of learned some things about the big Rolling Stones tour. They did four shows in LA with Living Color and Guns N' Roses. And (laughs) Vernon Reed had said something on a radio show, just kind of like calling out Axel and just saying, you know, that's, you know, pretty lame for him to put out a song like that. And Axel was really upset and, you know, like really puffed up his his chest about it. But I kind of found out later that his reason for writing that is, you know, cause he says, well, I'm playing the character of a guy from Indiana who's moved to LA. What a stretch, the character of a guy from, (laughs) but but (laughs) he kind of says that he was like violently assaulted by some gentlemen. And so he was using that as an opportunity to kind of yell at those guys. Yeah. So I don't know. So it's, It 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 makes it make a little bit more sense because you know at the time it's just really shocking. I mean, it was shocking then. It's obviously very shocking now, but at the time, they put that song out, and you know it really rubbed a lot of people wrong. Obviously,
0: yeah, it was it was. I remember it at the time being a big deal, and it's like. It, it, I, and I think it was in Slash's autobiography where he said, yeah, that was absolutely 100% not cool to me. I mean, Slash's mom is black. It's it's sort of, you know, it's, it was a troubling thing to do at the time. And I think in recent reissues, they've eliminated, I believe they eliminated one in a million, which is they have. the right call because it's a disgusting thing to do do or say right? yeah <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's ugly it's
1: not on the reissued uh box set appetite for destruction thing yeah and so have and you know, heard that have you heard that uh that uh, oh the thing with
0: like the the, the, the 80 tracks or whatever yeah 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 i listened to it and it's you know obviously well it's funny because like the first 12 tracks or whatever just the original album and you listen sure. to those and you're like yeah this rocked the first time it still rocks correct yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> And then you move on to the other stuff and like the Sound City recordings and those things. And you sort of, it's interesting because I've always really appreciated the way that album was like, and I say this as a complete novice in terms of production and sound recording techniques, but that album has always struck me as sounding incredible just in terms of you know, and shout out to Mike Clink, the, uh, the producer of that and mm-hmm. the user Illusions albums. But yeah, it like, I love the, I just love the story of like how that whole thing came together. Cause it's not, it's not typical for bands to have their first album be like this, where like there was sort of, it seems like a little bidding war for guns and roses at the beginning, because they had built up this following on the Sunset strip. And then record companies are trying to sign them. And like they're at one point, the record company sent them Paul Stanley, to record their album uh, Kiss. Yeah. And they just kind of clowned him, as I understand it. Like, he didn't get along with them, and they had, like, not a lot of respect for him or his music, and so we're just like, you know, whatever, we'll string this guy along. And, like, the story of early Guns N' Roses is just them seeming to kind of know that they're that they have something that everybody wants and that they kind of used it to, I think they got a great advance and I think they got a good contract out they of it. They did. Yeah.
1: They were actually offered a better contract, I think from Chrysalis, but mm-hmm. Chrysalis had wanted them to change their image a little bit. And they said, no way, mm-hmm. man, we're going to stick with this and we're going to stick with Geffen. So they took like a little bit less money and they signed with Geffen. And then when they signed with Geffen, Geffen basically took them off the road. They said, we're going to f- spend the next however amount of time working on the, on the album. And so they said, like, at that point, they no longer felt that they were part of the L.A. scene anymore. They started to feel like they were just a worldly band. You know, it kind of yeah. just sort of set up their, their attitude here on in. And then also provided them the opportunity to drink more and try some <laughs> more drugs. Sure. Um, but sure. whatever yeah. whatever it was that they did, it it totally worked in a way. Luckily for MTV, if MTV wouldn't have come along, who knows? Because those songs were just, they, they were just sitting there for so long until yeah. MTV kind of pushed them out.
0: Yeah. It was like, I don't know if you remember this, but for me, there's like Guns N' Roses was like the ambient sound of the south side of Janesville, Wisconsin, between like <laughs> 1988 and 1992 it, you know, and they were in every rock and roll magazine. They were in Rip yep. and Hit Parader and Circus that we would buy and read. And like, they were, yeah. they were like this weird, upsetting version of Beatlemania for like, <laughs> for people like me who, who was having his first experience, like caring about the members of a band in addition mm-hmm. to liking the music. Being like, yeah. I want to know about Axl Rose. I want to know about his personal
1: life, you know? <laughs> totally. And they don't, you know, they don't get enough credit for, really being the true ones to kill hair metal. You know, a lot of people want to say that it was Nirvana that killed hair metal. But, it—it, I mean, when you think about all of those bands that were coming in the hair metal scene, Guns N' Roses came out of it completely untouched. When everything changed, when Nirvana happened, when Metallica Mm -hmm. happened, when all of these things happened, Guns N' Roses, they didn't miss a beat. They didn't lose Mm -hmm. a speck of popularity or credibility they just continued on like they put out two records at the same time um it wasn't until much later obviously that (laughs) they decided to step on their their own feet yeah not decided it it was a long drawn out process obviously yeah kind of a tug of war a tug of wills
0: there definitely is like has been a media narrative about guns n' roses being these like rock and roll dinosaurs who were destroyed by you know grunge or whatever and no. it just it, 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 as would, evidence by the fact that they're still touring they 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 weren't killed and also like
1: sure they wanted nirvana
0: to open for them right right <laughs> when they went into a dormant period it was because they legitimately fell apart like it wasn't like yeah. nobody came around and blew them off off the the scene and in fact if they mm-hmm. had kept doing what they were doing oh. would bet they would have sold a lot more records and like if they had they kind of went dormant from like 1995 to about 2007 right but if they had just kept on being uh, guns and roses with like some semblance of the original lineup i
1: think they probably would have continued selling records you know and touring probably but. probably you know because you look at velvet revolver which is mm-hmm. the closest thing to what Guns and you know, the the closest yeah. thing to Guns and Roses post guns and roses, even more than actual guns and roses. I never looked at the numbers of, of who outsold who as far as Chinese democracy and that one goes. But I do know that Best Buy was selling Chinese Democracy for two dollars. <laughs> they had like pre-ordered like a million some copies, and then it came out and they're like, Oh no. <laughs> this, is I not a, one. this is not as good as we thought it was gonna be.
0: I bought it. I bought uh, it on like the, the day it came out just because not because i thought it was going to be good i knew it wouldn't yeah. but because i was so curious it was just like sure. axel did How a good job be? of making you wonder and it like it's an incredible album because it's the rare it's the rare thing that was recorded over such a long span of time that it's like it was outdated by the time it came out because yeah. it had taken so long to put it out. So it's like a stabbing westward album, or like a like a it's like an industrial album, except it was released in two thousand and seven. You know, yeah, and
1: I yeah, incredible. You know how much money they spent on that to make that album? How m- Fourteen how much? million dollars <laughs> to make that yeah. record. It is the yeah. most expensive rock album that's ever been produced, and yet so. somehow not the greatest. I guess there's not a one to one correlation. There's yeah, I guess it it there's something else involved with making <laughs> a good record and it doesn't have to do with money. I was always ha- really hopeful that it was going to be good because of the inclusion of Tommy Stinson, the bass player oh, of yeah. the replacements who is a band that I mm-hmm. really really love. When they yeah. when when he was considered to be the bass player, I said, "Okay, this it's not going to be a complete pile of garbage." But you and I both went and saw That version of the Guns N' Roses, I don't know how big of a venue you saw, but here in New York, I want to say it was like 2009, they sort of did four or five or six shows at little tiny venues. So I saw them at the Ritz. They used to be called the Ritz. Now it's called Webster Hall. The Ritz is where they recorded that MTV concert that produced Mm. their version that we all know of knocking on heaven's door. Like the first time we saw them. Yeah. yeah, Awesome Awesome show. show. Awesome version of knocking on heaven's door, which they have yet to touch. They completely ruined it on use your illusion. If you ask me, I think they should (laughs) have just, they should have just cut that version and just put it out. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it incredible guitar
0: solo that's the, yeah my favorite
1: thing about yeah that incredible vibe the whole thing so anyways they're playing there i'm like oh this is going to be great so at this point i picked up a teaching job and i'm in the audience and they do the whole you've got to wait an hour and a half for the band to come out and play mm-hmm. and so i just waited and waited and by the time they came out i was just so upset i'm like i'm an adult i can't be doing this like know your audience. There's no kids here. We're all like people that are Mm -hmm. men of men and mostly men uh, of a certain age that are here (laughs) to see you guys play your hits and like just suffer through the Chinese democracy garbage. So eventually they they come out and I realize I'm watching a GNR cover band. There's Mm -hmm. three guitar players up there and they are each trying to outdo their best – spot-on version of what's on the recording of what Slash plays, you know? And, of course, they kind of have to do that. Nobody's really given the liberty to sort of put in their own spin. They, they do with the Chinese democracy stuff. They're like, look at how many notes I can play. It's like, well, who, that's not what Guns and Roses is supposed to be. You're supposed to be playing the correct notes. And the correct notes aren't the notes that are on the record. I mean, Slash didn't, like, carve out every single note. Uh, I left halfway through. I left I, even before my Michelle yeah. came on, which was my biggest regret because I was like, "That's my favorite song." I'm like, "They're not even going to play my Michelle. Who cares?" I'm out of here. <laughs> and as I'm walking I, out, doodle, 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 doodle
0: <laughs> you know, I, I, this brings me to a, a thought about like the most recent incarnation and the feelings I have about them, which is that like, you know how Axel? I think one of the things that's always appealed to me about Axel is that he reminds me of like of kind of poorly behaved kids who I actually knew, right? Like yeah. I feel like his brand of like kind of midwestern difficult wild ass is sort of like is legible to me, right? Like I can yeah. I can I can see this guy in the way he behaves and be like, "Oh, it's the kid who lives across the street who gets kicked out of class all the time," right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's part of his appeal. And totally. like how, however, if you had asked me in you know, let's say 1993 or 94. Are all of these guys going to be alive? Are all of these guys going to have it together enough to put together like a capable, good world tour? Are a lot of them going to be sober? Is Axel going to be showing up on time and everybody's going to be getting their money? Is Axel going to be playing... Also in ACDC periodically. <laughs> like, is he going to be, is he going to be capably fronting two bands at the same time and seem like a relatively responsible adult? Like, it's really a pretty heartwarming story mm-hmm. because I don't think no, no, I don't
1: think anyone would have guessed that yeah. every member of this band would be alive. You totally. Know? But those two kicked kick the habits, slash, mm-hmm. Duff, they cleaned up. I mean, they both both of them almost died, slash a couple of times. And, slash did die.
0: Slash, slash was clinically dead for like nine minutes. Yeah, oh, at one point.
1: Yeah. Now yeah. is is that the story where I heard where he was like stuck in the middle of an ele- elevator door that just kept like opening and closing on him? <laughs> they all run
0: together, but yeah. at this point, I believe he, he has a pacemaker. So
1: He know. does. And during a Michael Jackson show, his pacemaker went off, and he was he thought, "Hey, are they like blowing pyrotechnics around me?" Turns out. His pacemaker was going crazy. So he was on stage like being electrically shocked while yeah. he was playing the guitar. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, but he survived that, yeah. which is good.
0: And Duff, Duff, meanwhile, looks like an NFL tight end. He's like, <laughs> he's like ripped and not an ounce of fat on him. He's like a mountain, you know, like a high level mountain biker slash martial <laughs> arts artist. It's, it's kind of incredible. Yeah. His his biography takes an insanely hard turn, like in the middle <laughs> where it like stops yeah. being about the time his pancreas almost exploded to like to being like, and then I won a black belt, you know, or I won yeah. like a medal at this karate mm-hmm. competition.
1: Absolutely. And then meanwhile, I think the best thing that he possibly could have done is he went to rock and roll boot camp, i.e. A C D C. Because yeah. he joins them and it's no longer no, you don't get to show up an hour and a half late. We are starting at this time and we are going to play these yeah. songs. And we are we are not going to try to make an album that sounds like Nine Inch Nails. We're going to make an album that sounds like AC/DC because that's what we do. We're AC/DC. Right. I right. think all of that stuff was just good for Axel, you know, to know that maybe you don't have to change your sound. Maybe you can just yeah. be the band that you are and maybe people are going to like you for that. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't they don't like
0: you know, there was a long period of time where you could pretty reliably count on Axel, like, getting in a fight with Tommy Hilfiger, or like, you know, getting arrested yeah. for this or that. Yeah. And it's like, he does, I don't know, I don't know the guy, I don't know what's going on in his personal life. Yeah. But it really does seem like he's got it together, and like, all these dudes, you never, these other guys don't get arrested and stuff like they used to, and they don't, you know, they don't have these big problems. So, hey, good for them. Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe Axel is a man that really needed Twitter. Before Twitter, <laughs> be. he was just using the microphone as his Twitter to just go up and like give these <laughs> rants and complain about things and then get into trouble and then have to like mm-hmm. deal with people on a face-to-face basis. Twitter, he can just send off his tweet and then, you know, people get enraged and they they do their tweet back and then, you know, <laughs> maybe that's sure. all it was. He just he just needed Twitter.
0: <laughs> it was such a central, it was like such a central part of their early appeal though, right? Like for I sure. remember that like, you know, my mom used to let us buy like a couple, uh, periodically buy like a couple like circus, rip, hit parader oh, magazines yeah. or whatever. Yep. And they Guns N' Roses was filling those magazines. They would have had yep. nothing to write about if it weren't for like the court cases and like whatever weird beef they had, or like Axel threatening to beat up Vince Neil or, you know, just like just the constant drama, which was obviously, I look back now is obviously such an important and probably somewhat self directed element of their popularity. Like, I don't think they were doing Definitely. all of that stuff by accident, you
1: know? Yeah, no. Uh, and, and part of it is their attitude that every single show is going to be like a bar room brawl Axel would just kind of hold off and just wait until everybody was agitated. And I don't think that he necessarily did it, did it to agitate people. I know that when he warms up for his shows, he spends an hour and a half to two hours, like warming up to before he can yeah. go out there, which obviously if you're going to sing like that from night, night after night, you better have a really good regimen. And he also has a slowdown regimen. When he's done with the show, he still he goes down and he, he kinda like brings his voice back down, like does these little massage vocal techniques, which I've started to learn more about, but I mean that's a lot of work and dedication. And yeah. Clearly when it, you sing like
0: that, Yeah. Man, like geez. And also I think it's important to remember that like, you know, for everything that's funny about Guns N' Roses and racism, for everything that's like, you know, for everything that is legitimately amusing about the way this band behaved forever. Like Axel also, you know, had an extraordinarily difficult childhood that led to the, you know, that it wasn't an easy life that got him to where he was. And there, you know, he said he was abused and there, you know, has obviously had some problems in his life. And so like, it's also the story of somebody who was expressing their pain in that, both through the music and through their, like, probably through their behavior is my guess, yes. you know, I ain't a therapist yeah. or a psychiatrist, but, like, it seemed pretty... Sure. Axel has always registered to me as a person who is sort of keenly suffering, definitely.
1: Definitely. And did you also know he really loves dinosaurs? I did not. <laughs> He's, apparently, when they would go on tour, he would frequently uh, go check out, like, dinosaur exhibits and go to dinosaur museums and collect little dinosaurs. He's a big fan of dinosaurs.
0: Well, good for him. How I, about that? I there are so many like so many little <laughs> fun facts you learn through reading the GNR books. Like I love that. Um, yeah. that's a good one. I love. Uh, I love that. You know, people had always com- said that Axel had aspired to be like Elton John, and I didn't realize until I read one of the other Guns N' Roses books that one of his really big heroes is Jeff Lynne from ELO and the Traveling. Really, oh. like I and it makes it. It's one of those things that you don't think about it. You don't connect to their music, but once you find out. I feel like "Use Your Illusions" makes more sense if it's like understood as the work of someone who really
1: loves. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, wait, you just said Jeff Lynne of of ELO and Traveling Wilburys. Now, are there any other members of Traveling Wilburys that you would say? Yeah, Bob Dylan, a uh, member of the Traveling Wilburys. <laughs> yeah, ELO, that's a good point. He might George be, Harrison. George Harrison, <laughs> for, formerly of uh, the Traveling Wilburys. Tom Petty. <laughs> All right, dude. I'm so hungry. how okay. did your pie turn out? I, it's in the fridge
0: right now. It's cooling. It looked and it smelled really good when I put it in.
1: I uh, I'm really surprised by this pie. But let's go get a slice and make an Irish coffee.
0: Okay. All right. It. Break. Need you back here in 15 minutes. <laughs> Sounds good, man.
1: Hey, you're so pretty. I think I saw you in the movies. We've got a reputation to make the floors glow. Hey, baby, you're amazing jumping over mountains find your number in my pocket favorite well cheers can you cheers coffee i think you can if there's alcohol in it hey nice mug yeah, yeah thank you yeah speaking of green bay packers now i put mine in a brandy sniff snifter sniffer sifner mm-hmm. what do you what do you call this glass I think that's a sniffer. I don't sniff,
0: goblet. Sniff, I don't know, goblet.
1: Sniff, goblet. Nah, I wish it was a goblet. Mm.
0: You did a nice job getting the cream to stay up on top there. That's
1: good. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, the trick is, this is how you make an Irish coffee, everybody. First, they mm-hmm. say use a regular coffee. Like it doesn't mean like if you want to use ex- espresso, you can. But they say regular. I use Costco coffee. Mm-hmm. Shout out to. No, I'm not gonna give a shout out to Costco coffee, but it's it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine enough. Um, you get your coffee, you put in a a little bit less than a tablespoon of sugar, mix that in there. and then you whip up some old-fashioned whipping cream. No, I don't whi- no, don't whip it up so much, but whip it up a little bit. You pour it over top of an upside down spoon and that's how the cream apparently stays on the top and doesn't go to the bottom, is what they say. Um, and I think that I, what I should have done, I it's not as black as I had imagined that it would be. It's still delicious. But the first bit of cream was still liquid, whereas the top part of the cream was all frothy, and that's obviously the stuff at the top. Yeah. And I used a little Tullamore Dew whiskey myself. Mm-hmm. That's always been my go-to Irish whiskey. I'm not that experienced with the whiskeys. I went
0: with Bushmills, which is fine. Perfectly, it tastes great. Oh, more than acceptable. Yeah.
1: I feel like one of those, well, Jameson, like one of those is the Protestant whiskey and the other one is the Catholic whiskey. Yeah,
0: Jameson, I think, is Catholic. I believe in Bushmills is the Protestant one, (laughs) yeah.
1: Now, hold on there. Have you ever heard about this debate between Bushmills and Jameson, the two different whiskeys? Dan's right there. People do believe that Jameson is the Catholic whiskey, Bushmills is the Protestant whiskey. So, I looked into it. This debate exists strictly by Irish Americans. Obviously, the idea here is that Bushmills is a whiskey from Northern Ireland, which is prominently Protestant, so therefore supporting English aggression, whereas Jameson is brewed down in the Catholic County of Cork, which holds its allegiance to the Republic of Ireland. Turns out the truth is Jameson was founded in 1780 by a Scotsman. He went and purchased the Bow Street Distillery, which was one of the main whiskey distillers in those days, and the odds that this particular Scotsman was Protestant are very likely, since the Scottish Reformation happened 200 years prior. Now, Bushmills came to be in 1608, founded by King James I. You may remember him as the guy from the Bible. Fast forward to today, the master distiller of Bushmills is as Catholic as the day is long. Now, the actual Irish people, the ones in Ireland, laugh at the fact that Americans make any kind of deal about this also suggesting maybe they should stop drinking Guinness as well since Arthur Guinness was a Protestant and a unionist carry on all right and so now we've we've paired this this Irish coffee with a um with a sweet cream pie what is it called is it sweet cream pie is it sugar cream pie sugar uh, cream yeah! Ah, Dan's right. It was called a sugar cream pie. This whole episode, I was calling it sweet cream pie. Forgive me, Indiana. Sugar cream. Carry on. So, which was very interesting. Looking at the ingredients of this thing, it was just like, I can't imagine something more boring. How is this a pie? Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. And then I made it, and I think I understand. So this is what you do. You get some, you get some cream. About two and a quarter cups of cream and you put that inside of a pan along with my, I think the Irish coffee's hitting me already. <laughs> Let me say that again. Um, so, okay. So you take about two and a quarter cups of cream and a half a stick of butter, warm butter. So but, much butter. So much butter. So much butter. <laughs> if the whipping cream itself wasn't enough, then yeah, you put butter yeah. in it. Yeah. I'm surprised that you don't put a a bunch of Crisco in it as well. I mean, might as well, but no. There's no, there's no way any member of Guns N' Roses
0: is, is like willing or allowed to eat this on account of whatever their diet, you know. You, Slash yes. has a pacemaker. You can't eat a pie that has four sticks of butter in it or whatever, you
1: know. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, there's a moment where Axel looks like he might have put down a couple of these. <laughs>
0: I think he looks I will I'll stand up for him and say I think for he's like in his 50s I think he looks fantastic like he, he does now he does now he, but he hasn't always he, <laughs> he wasn't going to have the physique of a coat rack for his entire life but. sure
1: no 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 okay so anyways so you've got that liquid going on your on your pan meanwhile you're going to take a pie crust I recommend Pillsbury and I'm going to say do that instead of making your own pie crust because I don't think anyone in Indiana is making their own pie crust. No, probably not. Yeah, no. So you're going to you're gonna pre-bake that in your oven for 325 degrees for about 10 to 12 minutes just to get it a little bit crispy before you're going to pour your filling inside. So at that point, you're going to stick about uh, four tablespoons of cornstarch and about three-quarters cup of sugar into your saucepan with the cream and the butter, and you mix that up. Keep keep it on the fire, about medium, medium-high. Keep stirring it, and as soon as it gets super thick, you're going to throw in a bunch of vanilla. They say like a tablespoon of vanilla. Uh, I put that in there, and then you pour that into your pre-baked crust. After you've done that, you're going to put yet more melted butter on top of there. Um, they said another four tablespoons... I brought it down to two tablespoons because uh, <laughs> you don't need that much butter, people. But, no, but you can't so much butter. It's so much butter. And, and we're from Wisconsin. Yes. So bear that in mind. That yes.
0: Like, it's too much butter for us Then That's I'm drinking right. I am drinking my drink out of a Green Bay Packers coffee mug and I mm. think it's too much butter. So <laughs> that should tell you what you need to know about that situation.
1: Exactly. <laughs> All right. So then you've drizzled your butter on top and then you're gonna put about uh, a quarter cup to a half cup of cinnamon sugar. To make cinnamon sugar, what you do is you take sugar and then you put about two tablespoons of cinnamon in there. Mix that all together and then you're just going to gently pour that on top of the melted butter. Uh, reminds me of making like cinnamon toast as a kid, you know? And we don't do that anymore because we have cinnamon toast crunch. So we just go right to the, that's the new source of it all. Put that on all, all on there you put it in your oven for another 25 minutes. The last minute, put it on broil, and then the broil is going to make a little crust off the top of it. And that's when it occurred to me: this is basically a creme brulee pie. Yeah, that's,
0: that's
1: right. what's going on here. It's a creme brulee mm-hmm. with a crust. Mm-hmm. Leave it to Indiana <laughs> to come up they with Figured such, it out. Yeah, and uh, I think we should have you. Have you tasted yours yet? No. Let's do this, Dan. Mm. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's creme brulee. Yeah,
0: and it has like the the flavor of. I you know I read in one of the recipes that it said, you know, this is a comfort food, and if done right, it should taste like have the the general taste profile of like vanilla ice cream, mm. which I think this does. Or, yeah, it has that, yeah, it's like a little warmer, but it's, yeah, it worked out
1: well. I was not super confident as I
0: was doing it, but I felt good about how it came out.
1: Yeah. Now, my mom has perfected a a pie similar to this, except it's like a chocolate cream pie. Mm -hmm. Not cream, but it's essentially the same thing. You use milk, you put a bunch of unsweetened cocoa, sugar, butter, cornstarch, mix that all together. And then you'll put it in a pie crust, but instead of a regular pie crust, you use a graham cracker pie crust. That's
0: what I got here too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that what you use for your pie crust? Yeah, yeah. It's oh. great. It's like the only one they had at the
1: store. So yeah. good thinking. Good thinking. Yeah, I use the traditional pie crust, and I can definitely see how the graham cracker thing is going to work. Mm-hmm. It's good. Um, it adds a little bit
0: of sweetness. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Did now? Did you do yours the same way? Did you still par-broil
0: the top of it? essentially i didn't mix sugar and cinnamon i just did cinnamon on top yeah um but pretty much everything is the same i actually used half and half instead of because that's what i had right. um instead of cream i think that, <laughs> so it's healthy this is yeah, the healthy, the healthy
1: version <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: um and it's it's really quite good like I, I i couldn't envision it needing to be more heavy than this like i i don't know that you would need the full cream treatment but yeah it's yeah good. i'd make it again
1: yeah. I mean, I think you could just as easily make it with any type of milk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, certainly it's going to be creamier and tastier and fattier and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I keep I keep going through my life trying to eliminate things like sour cream and fatty milk and all of these, these things, you know, as I'm older and mm-hmm. I don't have the metabolism that I once had. So anytime I feel like I'm cut in a corner... You know, I'm, I'm doing everybody a favor, but in this mm-hmm. one, no favors are made. This mm-hmm. is whooping cream, and yeah. uh, I would say that it pairs up excellently with the Irish coffee as well.
0: Absolutely, just like yeah. Guns and Roses, every all the ingredients work perfectly together.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, I was thinking I, during the break, I was thinking about this. About you know, I used to work in Indiana, um, at the up in Northwest Indiana, mm. and. The people of Indiana are very proud of their celebrity natives, like the people who come from Indiana. And there are a lot of just generally famous people and good musicians from Indiana. Like, you you know, like the more Jacksons, than John
1: Cougar Mellencamp?
0: Even more. Uh <laughs> this the, the you know, Indiana's Bruce Springsteen. Um I'm thinking like like the Jacksons are from Gary. Uh-huh. Um and you know in terms of just celebrities like James Dean who you know mm. not unrelated to the whole Axl Rose bad boy vibe Yeah no uh, not at all He's from there But the fact that the Jacksons and the Jackson 5, Janet Jackson and everybody are from Indiana and so is so are Axel and Izzy It seems like a lot to me It's like a couple of the biggest a couple of the biggest musicians in the 1980s certainly are both from Indiana
1: That is true That's true crazy bananas speaking of John Cougar Mellencamp and Bruce Springsteen did you see that those two mm-hmm. were putting out a song together now no I did yeah. not know that it was about time hmm. it's like they just looked around and they said how many of us are left that's oh, us two let's collaborate hmm. interesting hey, listen. I, yeah yeah I I bet I yeah, know exactly I, what it sounds like <laughs> 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 there's no no big large bridge to cross to put those two guys together
0: they should just do they should just re-record Jack and Diane like as a duet between those two. I think that would be cool, like Bruce with his like his gravelly voice singing about the chili dogs behind the tasty freeze and blah blah blah. Oh man.
1: Um, did you ever see that YouTube clip of the guy who redoes Jack and Diane but replaces all the lyrics with sucking on a chili dog? It's like sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog go check it out. Break. I, a thing that is stuck
0: in my head forever and like having worked there I know that people, you know, he he was sort of the the poet laureate of uh, of Indiana is that like that guy used to smoke something like 5 packs of cigarettes per day. No, yeah. quit. Mm. Like basically smoking every moment he was awake, chaining. This is again, this is just something I read I can't guarantee that that's true.
1: I remember but, he he didn't quit overnight. Okay. I remember being on Letterman and being like saying, yeah, I'm down to like a half a pack of cigarettes a day.
0: (laughs) Because like smoking five packs a day seems like work. Like that seems hard to do.
1: Yeah. You got to have like two going at all times. (laughs) Right. (laughs)
0: right. And you got to also never be anywhere they won't let you smoke. Right. You can't, you can't like go into a, you know, at least in modern, I suppose in Indiana in the 1980s and 90s, there's Uh, probably nowhere you weren't allowed to smoke. But it was was like Italy. <laughs> Nowadays Her you'd friends. have to be you'd be like walking outside you'd
1: spend all your time walking you'd be super thin. That's true. Maybe the secret to his success. Hey, do you know what uh, mental illness uh, Axel suffered from in the 1980s? I do not. Manic depression. Okay. All
0: right. Yeah. Or what would now be called bipolar, right? I think
1: mm, I guess so, yeah. But uh he used he used lithium to help alleviate his symptoms. All right. Well, good isn't for that him. interesting? Yeah. <sighs> yes, indeed. Um, another question: Who was West Arkeen? Do you know West Arkeen? Uh,
0: he's a friend of Axel's. So I mistake Axel's friends. Axel, of all, for all the things about Axel that aren't great, he's sort of famous for his like bringing his buddies along. And so there was West Arkeen. There was this guy Paul Huge. There's like all Paul these Huge problem <laughs> yeah he was the, the one he, like he brought in to play guitar and he like can't play guitar which i think is actually sort of a baller move to be like yeah. hey slash here's our new guitar player it's dan hinkle and he like can't even play a chord you yeah know? could like, someone it, to my actually, guitar for me <laughs> <laughs> it would actually be a funny joke if it was just a joke if you're yeah. like well, let it let her rip dan yeah. um but west arkeen did he write a short story that axel based one of the videos on is that right
1: He actually lived in an apartment next to Duff McKagan, as well as Funk Pioneer Sly Stone. And Mm -hmm. McKagan and him became close friends. By him, I mean West Arkeen. Mm -hmm. And uh, they started writing songs together. So the two of them wrote It's So Easy, Mm. Crash Diet, Bad Obsession, The Garden, Yesterday's, a bunch of tunes. He was kind of like... Yeah, he was like one of the ghost writers. I th- I thought of the guy who was
0: the short story writer. Uh, it's Del James.
1: Del James. The,
0: the short story on which I think November Rain is based. It's like it's like scrawled in Guns and Roses font at the beginning of the video.
1: Yeah. Mm, yes. Yes. Based yes, on yes. a short story. Yeah. Yep. It's funny that the least lovable is the lead singer, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, because I know, you know that. Like, can you think of another band? You know, maybe Motley Crue. People really seem to hate Vince Neil quite a bit. <laughs> Including Axl Rose, but yeah, it it is. You're right.
0: It is an interesting situation in that you have this band that's famous for its bad attitude, and Axl is sort of like the avatar of that bad attitude, right? Yeah, like he's sort of expected to be the guy who's sort of a pain in the ass. He's difficult. He gets in fights with Tommy
1: Hilfiger, all that stuff. Yeah, but he really but like, is the only guy with a bad attitude. Everybody else yeah. has pretty good
0: attitudes. <laughs> Duff and Slash are famously. Just great guys. Yeah,
1: super professional. I know people who've met Slash and said he's just a delight. Yeah, anytime you hear him talk, he sounds just like a just a teddy bear, just a really nice fella. Yeah, and Duff and Izzy. I mean, Izzy seems like you know a little bit of a hermit, if you will. But yeah. that's that's cool too. We had to leave
0: to save his life, which makes sense, you know.
1: Yeah, well, he was the one sober guy in the group. That he can't just be easy. He got so yeah, no. He he got sober too quick. He should have waited for the rest of the guys.
0: I was talking to a friend who made a, the very valid point that one of the things about Slash that makes him so interesting is that like even if he wasn't the guitar player for Guns N' Roses, he would have had an interesting life. Uh because like he was and I strongly recommend his book. His book is the best of the Guns N' Roses books Ab- in my opinion. Yes, absolutely. And he, you know, he was like a talented BMX guy who was like yeah. this sort of feral teenager in Los Angeles in the 1980s. And his mom dated David Bowie. Yeah. And and David Bowie like intervened on him and it didn't work. (laughs) It's just sort of incredible. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't like take effect. You'd you'd think David Bowie coming to, although maybe David Bowie didn't have the legitimacy that a person could potentially have when telling you not to do drugs. I don't know. Slash
1: slash apparently was not a fan of David Bowie at the time when he was dating Mm -hmm. his mother. Like in later life, he said that they did get along and would, if they were in the same town, they would get together and whatever, have pie or whatever it is that they do. Um, <laughs> but he was, eh, yeah, how about that? And, and it's not just David Bowie. There's a cast of characters. Apparently, he met John Lennon when he was very young, and he doesn't he doesn't mm-hmm. remember it. But you know, just his folks were in the scene. Man, Joni yeah. Mitchell was hanging out all the time. I think he was getting like I think he got a, a guitar lesson for Joni Mitchell maybe. All kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's an incredible life. I I was brushing up on the the insane stories about the abandoned. The there' an early one, like early, in Axel and Slash's friendship. Axel and, uh, Axel slept on Slash's couch, like with mm-hmm. his. If I'm remembering this right, Slash's grandma lived with them too, and right. told Axel to get off the couch. Axel's famous for sleeping till like five p.m. And yeah. his grandma told him to get off the couch so she could watch Jeopardy or something. <laughs> and Axel flipped out at her as he is wont to do. And when Slash like tried to gently confront him about it in a car on a busy road in Los Angeles, Axel opened the door and jumped out of the moving car. <laughs> huh?
1: Just that kind Man, of guy. That kind yeah. of guy. Yeah. May, may may we never know anyone like Axel Rose in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah All right, Dan. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat with me about Guns N' Roses. It was fun to walk down that lane again, and uh, it was it was great to catch up with you there.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. Rock on.
1: Yeah. Thanks again, Dan. Fun talk. Good time bouncing GNR facts with you. Thanks again for tuning in and sticking it out. I know it was another long one. But we had a lot of information to discuss So that's how it works At the moment I don't know what the next show is going to be I know what we have coming down the pike We're going to be doing shows about ACDC We're going to be doing shows about David Bowie We're going to do a show about Pat Benatar Dinosaur Jr. At a certain point Neutral Milk Hotel And I'm trying to get together a live show I have no details because no plans are made, but I just started talking about it with Charlie Schmidt. We are trying to put something together, a nice live show, and hopefully we can do an online live show and then cut that down and put it out in podcast form. So keep your ears peeled and your eyes open for what's coming up down the pike. Until then, hey, have a great Halloween. Make sure you rate the show. Make sure you tell your friends about this bank and be your food, TBGBYF. I'm your host, Nathan Palin. Thanks again for listening. Cook on and rock out. Ciao, ciao.
0: I may have just blown up my blender. <laughs>